For those of you who may be visiting with us, we're glad you're here. We at Golden Corner Church, we're trying to get to know Jesus. And the reason is, the better we know him, the more we're going to love him. The better we know him, the more we're going to trust him. And the more we love and trust him, the more carefully we're going to follow him. And if we follow him closely, some wonderful things are going to happen. We will develop a sense of intimacy in our relationship with him. We will evolve into the people that he has always known that we had the potential to be. And we'll make a difference in the lives of the people in our world. And so we're about to read from the book of Luke, chapter number 4, beginning with verse 14. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read it slowly, carefully, and we're looking for something. We're looking for anything that we could discover about Jesus. So that hopefully we can know a little bit more about him by the end of the sermon. So you ready? Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Let's begin reading. The Bible said, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, after Jesus' baptism and temptation that you guys read about last week, he began to go northward toward Galilee. And as he is traveling through the southern region of Israel, Judea, he would stop in different towns and villages, and he would go into their synagogues, and he would teach. Now, the Jews had the temple in Jerusalem, and I tell you, that's where the really big events took place, the festivals, the feasts the celebrations. But in every little community, they had a synagogue, which was a much smaller venue dedicated to worship and and biblical instruction. So Jesus was just going from town to town, making a stop, going into the synagogue, teaching. But while he was there, he was also performing a lot of miracles. And so his reputation is spreading like wildfire. It's preceding him all the way into Galilee where he eventually goes and he stops in cities like Cana where he turned water into wine and and Capernaum. And the Bible says that everyone who spoke of him praised him. Everyone. And look what happens next. Verse number 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So about a year has elapsed since Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He has been, I guess, an itinerant Bible teacher for about a year now, making his way through all these towns and villages into Galilee. And finally, a year later, he is back home. And when the Sabbath came, he did what he had always done on the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue. And I'm sure it was the synagogue where he was raised. 
And so when the time came for the scripture reading, Jesus stood up. And I'll tell you why I think that was. Every synagogue had an attendant who was in charge of the meetings. And they would choose who was going to do the scripture reading and the Bible teaching. And, of course, Jesus' reputation had preceded him. He had this great reputation as a Bible teacher. And I believe the attendant had asked him to do this. So Jesus stands up. He hands him a scroll. Jesus unrolls it. It is the book of Isaiah. And Jesus begins to look for the verses that he wants to share with this particular congregation. And he comes to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, and they read like this. Look at verse number 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see... And the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, these were messianic verses, which means they referred to the Messiah. The long-awaited king of the Jews. And these verses outlined the work the Messiah would perform while he was on this earth. And those are the two verses that Jesus chose to read to this congregation. And look what happened next, verse number 20. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Nobody was dozing. Nobody was snoozing. Everybody's looking. They're anticipating. Then he began to speak to them. This is what he said. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, the way I understand that things would happen in this meeting is your Bible teacher would stand, read the verses, put away the scroll, and then take a seat, and from a seated position, the teacher would elaborate on the verses that had just been read. And so, Jesus did that. He sits down. Everybody's anticipating what he's going to say. So, I mean, everybody's looking his direction. They moved up on the edge of their seat. They're anticipating what is, you know, what truth is he going to bring? What is he going to lift out of those two fabulous verses? And he says, uh, those two verses I just read, they're being fulfilled right now. Now, here's what he's saying. Uh, the verse said, the time of the Lord's favor has come. It's, going, it's here. That phrase means literally God in his grace is going to open up an extended period of time and allow people a new beginning. And so you're going to see captives released. You're going to see the you know, sight restored to the blind. And, and the way this is going to happen is the Messiah is going to perform all these wonderful works. And here's why it's going on now. The Messiah is already here. He's among you today. That's what he was saying to them. Now, you and I can read between the lines as they read between the lines. You know what Jesus just said to him? I'm the Messiah. I'm the one those prophecies have all been spoken about. I'm the one you have waited on. I'm the one you've longed for. I'm the one you prayed for. I'm here. I'm him. Look how they respond. Verse number 22. Why, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. 
Uh, then somebody asked, how, how could this be? Uh, isn't this just Joseph's boy? Isn't this Joseph's son? Now, they're all waiting on this grand sermon from this, this unbelievable, unbelievable Bible expositor and communicator. You know what? His sermon was one sentence long. And you know what? If I gave you a sermon this morning one sentence long, many of you would have been amazed and you would have spoken well about how gracious those words. Greatest sermon ever, Ronnie. That's how to bring it right there. They were amazed at what he said and at how he said it. They were very complimentary. Was that not great? Is that not, I believe that might have been the best I've ever heard. And then I believe a light bulb goes on over somebody's head. And they go, uh, maybe I'm mistaken here, but did he just claim to be the Messiah? And I believe somebody else said, I, I, think that's, I think that's what he said. And somebody says, well, how could this be? Isn't that Joseph's boy? I mean, I, I taught him in the uh, Sunday school at the synagogue all those years. He, he was in my Boy Scout troop. He, he cut my grass for years. I mean, how could little Jesus, Joseph's boy, possibly be the Messiah? They're trying to rationalize this. They're struggling with this. Look what Jesus said to him, Verse number 23. Then he said, uh, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. See, they'd already heard about all this. Uh, but I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Then he begins to tell him a couple of Old Testament stories. He says, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, speaking of the Israelites. He was sent instead to a foreigner, and that's a key word, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon tells us another story and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha but the only one healed was Naaman not a Jew a Syrian so Jesus he's he hears the dialogue going on how could this be I mean I don't know about it. I don't know if I'm buying this story and Jesus says uh, guys let me interrupt here for a minute I know the next words that are coming out of your mouth I know what you're about to say to me. He said, you're about to quote me an old proverb, physician, heal yourself. Because I know what you're thinking. I know what you're wanting. You're wanting me to prove my claim to be the Messiah. I know how you're wanting me to prove it. You want me to do a whole bunch of miracles like the ones you heard that I did in Capernaum? And he said, well, let me, let me share a proverb with you. A prophet is never accepted in his hometown. In other words, a hometown, local-grown prophet is going to be found to be unbelievable by those familiar to him or her. You know what he's saying? I know you don't believe me. I know you don't. I know that you don't believe what I said, and you don't believe I'm the Messiah. I'm, we always say, you, you don't have any faith. I, I see that. 
Then he tells them a couple of stories. And I know if you read this passage this week, you probably read this and went, what? He was making a point, and I want to promise you this, they got the point. And he's saying, you know, during the days of Elijah, the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha, the Israelites turned, your ancestors, your forefathers, turned away from God, rebelled against Him, so God refused to bestow His blessings upon His own people, and instead He turned to Gentiles, offered them His blessings, and they received it. And this is what He was saying. You folks are no different than them. Now, Jesus, let me tell you something. He didn't pull punches. He didn't sugarcoat it. He told the truth. Truth is, this is what he's saying, you're no different from them. Even though you're sitting on the pew in a synagogue, even though you took your Saturday to come to worship and you want to hear what I've got to say, he said, you're no different than your ancestors. You're actually rebels against God. See if that'll get you an invitation to come back. And he said, so here's what's happening. In rejecting me, you're rejecting everything God sent me to give you. But here's what I'm going to do. If you don't want it, I'll take it to the Gentiles, and they are going to be blessed. How did they respond? Look at this, verse 28. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from Jesus' lips. Jesus spoke 114 words. It probably took him less than a minute to say them, but he changed the mood of the crowd. Look what happened. <laughs> Thought somebody drew a taser on me there for a minute. <laughs> Watch to see who stood up. Get security on you. Look what really happened. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Think about what a disappointment. They had heard so much. They, you know, they anticipated so much. They had waited so long. And you come here and you insult us like this. I'm telling you, they were furious. Jumping up, they ran to the altar and made things right with God as quickly as they could. Mm-mm. They mobbed him. Forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd went on his way you want to talk about a church service gone wrong (laughs) man this is a church service gone wrong i I believe after jesus finished his little sermon that it looked like an episode off of jerry springer i mean not that i've ever seen jerry springer mark tells me about jerry springer Man, I believe people were diving over chairs, pulling hair. I believe they they were fighting, you know. They mobbed Jesus. I I can just see him pushing him out the door and him going, was it something I said? Was it something I said? It wasn't enough that they threw him out of their synagogue. They threw him out of their town. They took him to the outskirts of town. They took him to a cliff and said, you know what would do you right? Here's what we ought to kill you right here. And they wouldn't have. Jesus came to die, but not then. And Jesus came to die, but not by being thrown to the bottom of a gully. So you know what happened? And I believe it happened very supernaturally. Jesus just passed right on through the crowd. 
and went on about the work that God had given him to do. Now, in Luke chapter 2, when we studied it, we read about a man named Simeon who made a prophecy about Jesus to his mother Mary. And he said, I want you to know something. Everybody is not going to receive your son well. Some people will assume the right thing to do is oppose him, and they're going to attack him and try to harm him. Well, after a year of everything going well, that prophecy is starting to come true, and guess who those people were? The drunks at the nightclub? The religious people in the synagogue. Now, you were supposed to look for something about Jesus in there. I believe there's a lot about Jesus. I I got time to show you one thing that I felt like I discovered about Jesus. I believe I discovered that Jesus is light. As a matter of fact, New Testament book of John chapter 8, Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is light. Ronnie, what does that mean? First of all, it means that Jesus knows. Knows what? Knows everything. Because Jesus is light, nothing can be hidden from him. Therefore, Jesus knows everything. In particular, he knows everything about each and every one of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Don't believe me? Step back and look at that story again. Jesus told the people in attendance, I'm the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, he told them. The next words out of your mouth are going to be, physician, heal yourself. Don't you know that they're sitting there going, what? How did he? He said, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he needs to prove that. And I know how you're thinking, how, what you're wanting me to do. You want me to do a bunch of miracles. And he said to him, I also know this. You're not buying anything I said. You don't have faith. He said, I know you came here. You feel really good about yourself. But he said, truth is, you're in rebellion against God. You're, really, you're about to really blow this. How could Jesus know all that? What they're thinking. That they don't have faith. How do you know that? Tell you how? Jesus knows. Because Jesus is light. And nothing can be hidden from him. Apparently he knew these people a whole lot better than they knew themselves. They were incensed over Jesus' words. You know why? They had a different opinion of themselves than Jesus did. Who was right? Jesus was right. He knew these people better than they knew themselves. Jesus is light. Jesus knows. Jesus knows everything about us. He knows the things that we're consciously trying to hide from one another. Our insecurities, fears, even our sins. 
Jesus also sees all those things about us that may be so deeply hidden in the darkness that we don't even see them ourselves. He knows when our motives are impure and we're driven by jealousy, envy, or greed. He knows when our emotions are really the byproduct of self-pity or pride. He knows when we have successfully convinced ourselves that a lie is the truth. And he knows when every one of our excuses is hollow. Jesus knows exactly who we really are. It's possible to fool others. I'm telling you, it's possible to fool yourself. But we can never fool Jesus because Jesus is light. Jesus knows. But it means more than that. It also means that Jesus, what Jesus knows, he will expose. Now, come on, man. You've got to give me a pat on the back. That's got some clever word around. What Jesus knows, I'm going to say it again. He will expose. What he sees in the light, he will one day bring into the light. Jesus knew a whole lot about the people he met in the synagogue. He knew who they really were and not who they thought they were. He knew that they didn't have faith, even though they thought they had faith. You know, Jesus could have remained silent and kept the peace and left a hero. He could have done that. But he didn't. He spoke up and made everyone aware of what he saw. As light, Jesus could see. And as light, Jesus was responsible to help everyone else see. Why would he do that? Why not just keep it to yourself? With all my heart, I believe that he was trying to help them. These people had deluded themselves into believing that they were okay when they weren't okay. And as a result, these people were about to miss out on everything that God had coming for them. They had a serious problem, but how in the world could they correct a problem that they didn't know existed? Uh, You know what? They couldn't. So that's why Jesus said, let's bring the problem to light. Jesus wasn't being judgmental or critical. He wasn't trying to destroy their self-esteem or pick a fight with them. He was trying to help them. He told these people the truth about themselves so that hopefully they would change. What Jesus knows, he'll eventually expose. What he sees in us, he will one day reveal to us. Ronnie, how will he do this? I believe he uses his word. The Bible. Isn't that how he exposed these things to these people? He used words to shine light on them so that they could see in themselves what he saw. You know, I think sometimes it happens when you're sitting reading your Bible and all of a sudden just one of those moments where maybe it's a passage you've read 20 or 30 times in the past, but all of a sudden you're reading it and it's just like light hits the passage and then that light reflects back on you and you go, oh no, man, that's me. That's what I'm doing. Sometimes it happens in a church service and the preacher's preaching and he, he's making some application and all of a sudden it's just like the light comes on around you and go, that is why I think the way I think. 
I think sometimes you're sitting with a group of other believers and you're having a healthy, open discussion about the Bible and man, the light comes on and you go, that's the problem that I've got that I need to address right there. Why would Jesus do that? I often have people say, man, you got on my toes this morning. Sometimes you get people get mad at you. You were shooting at me. I don't know you. I don't know what you do, what you, how you think. I don't know what you're trying to hide. I tell you, if a light hits you, it's not coming from me. It's coming from him through this book. Why would he do that? He's not doing it to hurt us. He, he does it to help us. When, when Jesus shines his light on us, we can become defensive or we can go into a state of denial or sometimes we can plunge deep into depression. It can be painful at first because, after all, the truth can hurt. You know, it would just be a lot easier sometimes, a lot less painful just to be left in the dark. But Jesus won't do that. He won't leave us in the dark. You know why? When Jesus shines his light on us, he's trying to change us so that he can bless us. That's exactly what he was trying to do for these people. I've come to bless you, but I can't bless you because of these things I see. So I'm going to show you what I see so that hopefully you will address them and I can't bless you. Sometimes... There's something in our lives that's holding us back or it's holding his blessings back from us. Maybe it's a rotten attitude or some sin or an impure motive, whatever it is. Jesus will eventually reveal that to us so that we can address the problem and hopefully change. Jesus is light. Jesus knows and what he knows he's going to eventually expose. So what do we do with that? I believe every time Jesus reveals something to us about himself, he expects a reaction on our part. So what are we going to do with this? Here's what I suggest. Linger in the light. People don't always react well to light. I think the people in our story are a prime example of this. They didn't like what they saw. So you know what they did? They tried to put the light out. Threw Jesus out of their church, drove him out of town and said, let's just get rid of him altogether and kill him. They didn't appreciate the light. They'd rather be left in the dark because in the dark it's easy to convince ourselves that we're all right as long as we're sitting in the dark. These people wanted to escape the light as quickly as they possibly could. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that we can all be just like the people in our story. We, believe, we just prefer the dark because in the dark we can convince ourselves that we're something that we're not. But when the light is turned on, it can get awful uncomfortable. You know, if I'm sitting in a dark room, I can give, convince myself that I'm 24 years old. I don't have a receding hairline. My hair is dark. There's not a gray whisker in my beard. I turn on the light and look in the mirror and you know the truth? There's an old man looking back at me. You know, Mark can sit in a dark room and he can tell himself over and over, I am tall, I am tall, I am tall. But he turns on the light and he can still barely see the top of his head in the mirror. I'll take you to lunch tomorrow for that, Mark, okay? You know, if we're sitting in a dark room together, I can tell you, I look exactly like Brad Pitt. Why are y'all laughing? I can say, yeah, I look just like Brad Pitt. You turn on the light, you're thinking, uh, preacher, did you say Brad Pitt or armpit? 
truth can hurt. So you know what we do? We try to avoid the light. Don't avoid the light. Linger in the light. How do you do that? First, get along with Jesus and take out this book and read it. You know what happens every time you get along with Jesus and you go like this? What happens? Light's coming on. There's the light. If I show up for work in the morning and there's a magic lamp on my desk and I rub it and a genie pops out and says, I'm the genie of church life. I'm going to grant you one wish for going to church. What is your wish? I know what it'd be. I wish that every person who went to Golden Corner Church would start meeting along with Jesus on a regular basis and reading the Bible. That's what I wish. And you know, I talk, and, and you know, it's something we all know we need to do, but it's something that only a handful of people in church really do. And when I talk to people about it, they say things like this. Look at that, Ronnie. There's 66 books in the Bible, 1,100-something chapters. I don't know where to start. Well, I got this blog called, and on that blog every week, I tell you the text that I'll be using, that I'll be studying all that week, so that if you want to, you can just read that text along with me. Start there. All right, I can't, Ronnie, I can't possibly understand the Bible. I don't have commentaries and Bible dictionaries and all that stuff you've got down there in your office. I know that. So you know what I do? I spend hours every week reading those commentaries. And I take everything that I learn and condense it into something like cliff notes that I put on my blog that are called clues so that you don't have to go buy all those commentaries and you don't have to do that. I got all those, all those little tidbits of information right there for you. Why don't you use that? Ronnie, you get things out of the Bible. I, I, I can't get stuff out of the Bible. You know how I do it? On my blog called, I give you three little questions that after you've read the text and you've looked at those clues or those cliff notes, if you will just really think and answer three questions, what do I discover about Jesus? What do I discover about life? And in light of what I've discovered, what should I do? That's what I do every week to get ready preach to you so that's one way to linger in the light another way to linger in the light is to do exactly what you're doing right now listen to sound bible teaching the staff of your church is committed that on every sunday it's a le- it's it's noon it's noon don't freak out on me i, I gotta say a couple of things okay we're committed that every sunday somebody's going to stand here and they're going to read from the bible explain the bible and show you how to apply the bible We call that sound Bible teaching. And I want you to understand something. That's not popular in today's culture. I've been to the conferences. I've read the books. And everything I've read said that you don't do that anymore. Seriously. This is what what the experts say is that people today don't want Bible exposition anymore. They don't want you to take a text, read through the text, and let the text speak anymore. That they're not interested in. And this is what they're told. You, you, from, this is the way we're supposed to do it as preachers. We're supposed to ask you, what do you want us to talk about? And then whatever you tell us that you want to hear, we're supposed to tell. Whatever you want to hear is what we're supposed to tell you. That's what all the experts tell us preachers now. You, we're, doing it, we're doing it differently now. You know, there's a verse 
In the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul told Timothy, in the latter days, people don't want to hear sound Bible teaching. They want teachers who will scratch where they itch. I hope you appreciate what we try to do here every week. I think you do. I think you value it. But here's the bottom line. Guys, I'm not going to ask you what you want to hear. I'm going to ask God what he wants to say. Huh? So, you know, and here's the cool thing about Golden Corner. You're going to miss some Sundays. You're going to, and I'm going to say this. You're going to miss some Sundays. You really ought to have been here. But you're going to miss some. Great thing about going to corners, even if you miss a Sunday, you don't have to miss a sermon. You can go online, you can subscribe to our podcast, and I tell you, that's what I did. I listened to Tim's sermon last week, and it blessed me. I want you to develop a habit of doing that. And, of course, the third way to linger in the light is to meet together with other believers and have a great, stimulating conversation about the Scripture. There's just something about meeting with people. Now, listen to me. There is one interpretation for the Scripture. There's one. Multitude of applications. And applications are typically perceived by people at whatever station of life they're in or whatever problems they're facing. And man, when you get together with a group of people and everybody's sharing from their perspective, it can be amazing. That's how you linger in the light. You know, the light can make us uncomfortable at times. But it is absolutely necessary. Light leads to change. Change leads to growth. Growth leads to blessing. And that's what Jesus has in mind when he shines his light on us. Jesus is light. So let's linger in the light. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for your truth and your word. Thank you for the light, as awkward and as uncomfortable as it can make us at times. We understand your love for us, your purpose, your intent is to help us untangle the knots in our spirit and our soul and our mind so that we can be happier and more productive, healthier people. I pray that uh, you'll help us to understand the value of your word in this process and that you say, God, that your word is light. It's the tool you use to shine light. So help us, I pray, to get in the Bible, to be faithful to listen to the Bible, to to find somebody, a friend, a buddy that we can talk to about the Bible. God, help us to commit to this. And we want to see you. We want to see ourselves as we really are so that we can become everything that you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Go linger in the light and be the light. Have a good day.